We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Clint, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Y'all can call me dirty from now on because I plan on getting dirty with George's ass. I'll give you the politically non-correct answer. Let the nuts hang. Let the fucker fly, man. Well, you never know what the hell is going to go on in Morgantown. You get off the bus, it smells like straight whiskey. What other 50-year-old white man's out here doing a gritty that night? You know, whatever. But no, I'm serious. The lights went out. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. It's Dabo doing the gritty. I say right foot creep. Cheers, boys. After dark, uh, George Whitfield joined by my running mates here, Trevor Knight and Clint Sterner. Very special guest on a very heavy Tuesday afternoon, uh, Tuesday evening. We're joined by one of my favorite people, uh, legendary college football coach, many athletic directors sit by their phone, hoping he decides to come back. We're joined by Coach Chris Peterson. Coach, what an honor to have you join us tonight. George, my pleasure. Looking forward to talking to you guys. Uh, so we're going to roll with, with Coach Pete tonight. Uh, a deep dive into the mechanics of taking over a brand new program, uh, installing not just the, the program elements, but also getting your family aboard. What is happening that we don't see or understand? The new changing landscape of college football with the transfer portal and with <laughs> the opt-outs at the end of the season as guys start to look forward to the NFL. There are opt-outs both in the college football playoff where we used to think everybody that gets a chance to play for the playoff will obviously take that opportunity. That's changing. And then the bowls. So your team, you work so hard to construct it. And then as individual guys have success, they begin to come out of it. And what is that like to manage it? But first we want to pay respects to coach Mike Leach, uh, such, such a, a, a big shape shifter in college football, not just offense, but mentality. And when Sunday football used to look down on Saturday football. Um, it was people like Mike Leach and Chris Peterson and Chip Kelly who started with their innovation, started winning games in such ways that NFL started to copy them. And now when you watch No Huddle and when you watch a lot of the concepts and the heavy shotgun and the wide formations, uh, it's because of what the pioneers of college football have done, but we lost one tonight. Um, very heavy hearted in, in all respects to the Leach family and the Mississippi state football community. We have a couple of gentlemen on here that have competed against him. 
gotten to know him well. Clint, I want to start with you, with your experiences. Can you share with us how you come to know Coach Leach and 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 competed against him, and what was that experience like? Yeah, look, George, it, it was easy for me, man. I, I, I caught the brunt of it, if I'm being completely honest. When Coach Leach was was at Kentucky with Hal Mummy, um, I mean, I saw it firsthand, the Tim Couch days. I mean, they they were an absolutely art. I mean, I mean, just a, a work of art to watch. I, as a quarterback, you almost envy guys that got the opportunity to play in his system. And 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 I think the here's the thing, George, is I think everybody that I've heard talk about Mike Leach today, um, they, they there's a long laundry list of the air raid and and being uh you know a pioneer in, in the air raid. Which, which sits, in my opinion, right along with the West Coast offense, the the Air Coriel and and uh, the running shoots. And, you know, it, I mean, what they were able to do, starting with Hal Mummy and Mike Leach, what they were able to do and the lives that they were able to, uh, to impact with that air raid system is second to none. When you look at how that thing, that thing improved high school football and allowed so many youngsters to play at a high level, that maybe weren't six four and could run like the wind, and and uh, you know th- those guys were able to compete. Um, and then obviously it's it's all throughout college football. So you talk about the number of lives that he was able to touch there, absolutely tremendous. But I tell you what, George, I got to eat lunch one time with Mike Leach. James Whalen was a great tight end at Kentucky, and I got to eat lunch with with Mike Leach and spend about an hour with him, man. And I am, I'm not, I'm, I'm be honest with you. You guys know me, coach. You don't know me yet, but we're going to get to know each other this hour right here. Um, <laughs> coach Leach and I probably don't have a whole lot in common from a personality standpoint and, and, and the way we kind of view the world and all. But I tell you, when I left that, when I left that lunch with Mike Leach, there's, there's one thing that he, that he displays or that he possesses that I just think is, I mean, it's as important in terms of being a good human being, um, any friend of mine has it. Anybody that I invest time in has it. And I'm telling you guys, and you know this, but it's real. He is unapologetically authentic. And I love authentic human beings, right? We all have our flaws, but when you can be real and authentic, I can live with your flaws, man. I, I mean, we, I'll die for you. I'll go to battle for you. And um Coach Leach is just that guy. I think. I think if you look that up, if you look authentic up in the in the book, man, there should be a picture of Mike Leach right there. So, experience the the scheme beating the heck out of me. Obviously, it's second to none, and the man was was even more special. Wow, Coach. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is he, he, he. Hard for me to talk about, to tell you the truth. Um, I, when I start to really think about him, it, it gets me, gets me going. So I'll try not to think so deeply and I'll really think about <laughs> how our relationships were. And I, first of all, Clay, you said it all about, you know, the football part of things. I don't think there's a guy that, you know, in the game that doesn't know about Mike Leach really because of how he revolutionized the game. He and how mommy that whole thing, that air raid. I mean, even if you don't run it, you're going to go against it. You're going to see it. You're going to have elements uh, of the things that he talks about. But the thing was so cool about him. He's just such a purist. 
you know, I mean, such a purist. Everybody could think about running his offense better than he could. And, you know, why don't you run the ball? He just, he was just so, like you said, authentically him and just a purist in every sense of the word. But I'll tell you this, like, I don't even really think about it in terms of the football part of things for me. Um, I just think this, there's not been another human that has been as unique to him as unique as he's been like for me in my life. Every time we'd have a conversation, I always walked away laughing, smiling, and then had to share the story of whatever we just spoke about with somebody else that even kind of knew it. I mean, every time. There was never one time that I talked to him that it was like 10 minute conversation and like, okay, good, see you. And I don't, you know, a couple of days later, you forget about it. Like, it is story after story and what a wonderful like just unique it's really you know such a powerful force in this world wow coach thank you for sharing clint thank you for sharing that's um generous and thoughtful and and you know having you know us all going through this but there are those of us that know him better than others. And you were a colleague of his and competitor, Clint, you were a competitor of his. And, um, you know, just the respect of being a, of, I have form of just being a young quarterback guy who wanted so badly to contribute on that Island. And I used to watch him at camps and watch his film and, um, you know, kind of pick up on some of the phrasing, but, um, you know, I envy that you you guys got a chance to kind of know him from that that standpoint, and um, you know, to the family and into that locker room and that community, multiple communities. It's not just the Mississippi State community filling it tonight. So, um, Coach, if we could take the next step, there's so much we don't know about coaches. Really, we know you guys as um, big time gamers we see the big contract scroll at the bottom of our TV screens. We see you guys doing your halftime and post-game interviews. We don't know much else. Tonight, I wanted to see if you would walk us through here at the field of 12, some of those elements. And I just want to really start out. What is that lifestyle like as a general in charge? I mean, de facto you're in charge of a whole athletic director. I mean, the whole athletic program, but you spearhead it from football, but what is that like on your system, on your soul, on your family? Uh, <laughs> you know, the, and people don't understand like the, I remember urban Meyer said he couldn't even enjoy wins. Cause he felt like he had to get in there immediately and make some kind of a recruiting call. Or I played for coach Trussell, uh, in college at, at Youngstown State, and I watched him at Ohio State, and he said, "I, I relish the wins in the off season. That's about it. Everything else, you know, it's, it's going to be work and work." And like, what is the ride like up on that saddle? If if you could put that into any type of context. For oh me. boy, it, that would be like to really do it justice. It would be such a long conversation, but um, it's certainly not like it appears from the outside. You know, it's been, and I'm sitting here talking to you today because it's rough. 
<laughs> and it can squeeze you and eat you up if it's not done with a tremendous plan of how you want your life to be. That I've learned since stepping away. Um, you know, Coach Russell talking about, you know, relishing, enjoying the wins in the off season. God bless him. He that's that's way better than most can do. <laughs> it's usually survive in advance is you know the mentality and, and not the right mentality. Um, but it's just like you started, George, with this question about what's it like for your family? What's it like to be there? It's like it's just um it's just all consuming. And you know, I, I'll start with the, with the wives. I always say this in coaching, you either have one of the greatest wives one of the best people ever, or you don't have a wife in this business. Mm. It, it just doesn't, it just, it just can't last. She, they have to be so tremendously independent. They have to be understanding of like, this is how it, the life goes. Um, you know, you're away so much from your kids. You want them to be part of your program. Um, but when you are home or if, if you go on vacation, you know, <laughs> there's 125 kids on in your locker room and there's 500 recruits that you're probably recruiting and looking and paying attention to with your staff. And then there's a building of 50 other people from academics to marketing, to recruiting, to training, to strength. So it's just, it's just going on at all times. And so I think like looking back on it, you have to be so calculated and so disciplined and build skill to be able to enjoy this process somehow, some way. Because if you don't, um, it's going to get you. Coach, can you can you circle back? Can you circle? You said something, man, that 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 intrigues me. A lot of things, not just something. You said several there, Coach. But the the one where you said you learned since you stepped away. Uh, the tremendous plan that it takes to be able to enjoy it. Can you pull the curtain back a little bit there on, on maybe an instance or just one of several things that that you're you're speaking directly to there? I don't want you to give away your plan because I know you got a you got a lot of, you got a big future here. But can you pull back the curtain a little <laughs> bit for us? Yeah, my future's right here now in front of you guys. Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: there's not a business person that I've come across and I've come across a lot of them, a lot of really spectacular people that entrepreneurs and run businesses and certainly not a football coach that I know that um, really has a plan for their life. And let me back up here. First of all, every business person I know is a lot like a football coach in terms of how obsessive and, um, thoughtful and every waking moment is thought about trying to bring their business plan to life, how to build the culture, the environment, the strategy, the execution, how to, you know, to fend off the competition, to get a leg up on the competition. And football coaches are no different. I mean, every way, how do we move this program? How do we move it like, you know, 
two inches a day. You know, how do we get an advantage in the weight room and in the nutrition department and the mental skills department? Like, it's just, it's consuming. Like, how do we do this? And so everybody's on the same page there. But out of all those people, and I know they're out there, but I just don't know any that had a plan for how they wanted their life to go. No matter, no matter the arena that they're in. So let's talk about being a CEO or, you know, an entrepreneur, start up a company. It's kind of the same thing. It's, they can be all consuming jobs. And certainly this crazy arena of football and where college football is gone, you know, in left field in a lot of ways. I don't know anybody that has a plan for their life. Like, how do you want your life to go in this arena? Because societal forces are going to make you go a certain way and tell you what's important in your life and try to reward you with these contracts and wins and rankings and money and power and prestige. And none of that in the long game is going to be fulfilling and rewarding. Mm. that's not what we're after at the end of the day but in that arena that's all that really matters and that's what you're going to be rewarded for so if you don't back up and say wait a minute here and i know a lot of this sounds cliches but this is some of the, this is why i stepped out because i couldn't make sense of this i had the most beautiful job in in the world that i worked my whole life to to be the university of washington wonderful university aligned with the administration, the kids that we worked so hard to get in that locker room, awesome kids. And I'm not enjoying this. And I'm frustrated with this thing. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I couldn't make sense of it. So since stepping away, I've made a lot of sense of it. And I've talked to a thousand coaches and business leaders and been able to kind of put some of this. And this is one of the things. It's like, who's got a plan? Like, who has a purpose? What's, what's the purpose, you know, for... You coach it, not just to win a bunch of games. I get that. That's the goal, you know, or you're going to make a bunch of money. That's, that can't be the purpose. That's maybe part of one of your goals. Right. Like that stuff is short lived. And so what is the purpose of your life? Why are you working in this arena? And then what are the values that you want to live through? And then the principles are the anchors of your program or of your life that you want to live by. Like who gives thought to that and then puts that down like on a sheet of paper, like it's a game plan, right? I couldn't even go into a stadium without a game plan as a football coach. You guys can relate. I think there's some other sports that you probably could. Um, Mike Leach might have been able to because he's got that system, that air raid, and he's got his little tiny game plan. And I'm like, that is so beautiful. Why can't I have a system like that? You know, my system is like this, like pages and pages. But I couldn't go into a, into a game without game planning and having a game plan, right? None of us could. I mean, it'd be like going in there naked. Well, how about putting that down for your life? Like, what what, what is your purpose? What are your values? What, you know, what are the roles in your life that you, you know, the behaviors that you really want to do as a dad, as a husband, as a leader, as a mentor, as a friend, as a brother, as a, you know, sister, whatever. Like it just, that was an aha. It's like, how could I not have a game plan for my life? And I, I'll tell you, I dabbled in some of this stuff. I had, you know, I talked about my purpose. I, I, you know, kind of wrote a letter to myself, like what I want, like a purpose statement, but it, it wasn't the same as putting a game plan together 
and then intentionally trying to live through that and build skill, just like we're trying to build skill on our players or with our coaches. And, and so and- that's one of the things it's like, you know, like I look back and I'm like, how could I miss this? Even to get to that though, you have to recognize that you are more than what you do. Trevor is more than just being the Aggies quarterback and captain. Clint is more than being the Arkansas quarterback. But when you're in it, sword and shield in hand, that loss, I, like the loss got me because I'm a quarterback and we're 0-3, so I am not. You, you know what I'm saying? That What you're saying it calls for all of us to recognize you are more than what you do. You're more than what you do, which man, that's like an out of body um, recognition. TK, I know you wanted to uh, hop in here, but coach, that's, that's like gospel right there. That's gospel. Yeah, really neat coach. And I, I want to, and I know you've had many of these conversations and you don't know me from Adam, but I want to commend you on on having that mentality and recognizing that because I think watching the game from where I sit nowadays out of ball, um, I can see a lot of people that I was close to during the game that put on the blinders in, in the coaching world. They're a QC, so they're going to go put you know scout team cards together all night long just so they can get a position job, just so they, and you work your way up. And before you know it, you're sitting there and, and to the outside where it looks like you met all of your goals and you're a rock star and everything's great. But internally, at least some of the guys that I know, um, they haven't found that purpose. So I, I want to ask you this. I'm going to kind of go against that. You mentioned purpose. Looking back on your coaching career, which was absolutely phenomenal, I would love to hear – on the positive side of things, what were some of those nuggets that you look back on? You're like, man, that was amazing. That was cool. I really enjoyed that. I'm glad I did that. Some of those memories. Yeah. And you know, that, that that's a great point, Trevor. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to just go down the negative rabbit hole. Of, this is terrible and all these things, but again, it can get that way if we don't really have a plan and intentionally live our life like we're supposed to. And I, before I go there, I want to go back to what George was talking about. Like it should always be person greater than whatever player person, greater than coach Mm -hmm. person, greater than CEO. But that's easy for me to sit here and say, because especially in the arena some of these kids are and the coaches are in at best, at best, it might be person equals coach, or I should say this coach equals person or player Mm -hmm. equals person. And in a lot of people's minds, this arena and the love and admiration that they've gotten for years. And some of these kids in high school, even, and now they're in this arena, it's really like player greater than person. Yeah. Coach greater than person. Like you might not say those words out loud, but that's really the feeling in our, like that's what we get rewarded for. Right. 
That's where all the reinforcement comes. So it's very easy to have your identity completely tied into what you do, not who you are. And I've known that for a long time, but I've even, I've even gone off the deep end. And it's like, Hey, no, you're, we're a ball. I'm a coach. That's who I am. That's the person that you are going down a dark path with that type of thinking. And so, yeah, but so sorry about that rant there, Trevor, but I'll go back to yours. Um, I mean, the coolest thing ever is, you know, building your locker room and putting the staff together and not just your coaching staff, but with the strength staff, with the academic people, with the recruiting staff and creating alignment. That's probably the number one thing that I just see in, you know, teams and certainly teams that are off. It's just the alignment is not there. And it's very hard to do. It's an all day, 24 hour, three, six, you know, seven days a week, every day of the year type assignment to create alignment. But when you start doing that and everybody's believing in the same things and bigger than just winning football games, it's pretty cool. And so for me, the heartbeat of our program was always something that I called built for life. And it was really just about trying to teach elite life skills, championship work ethic and habits. And, you know, like what an awesome teammate looked like. Mm. I mean, it really was that stuff and all the, and it's almost like Trojan horse values, right? So you're using the platform of football to really just, it's like, this is about ball, but it's really not about ball. It's really about all these things that you think this thing's hard you're doing now. Wow. Wait till we get done with this. And, you know, we get out in the real life and you're married and you have kids and this and jobs. And, and if you, you can build skill and build a foundation and fun, we're all coaches, right? So it's about fundamentals and techniques. And it's like just a beautiful thing to be able to use that platform of sport you know, to break down barriers of different cultures and where kids come from, starting from that is just awesome. Let alone some of these other skills and all those things. So that was always really, really, that was the most enjoyable part of the, the whole thing for me. And then, you know, I loved practice. Mm. <laughs> I love going out there and we put a plan together and see what this was going to look like and tweaking it. And, you know, talking about urban, what you said about what urban Meyer said. And I mean, to me, the games, you know, it's just, you feel so much pressure and so much responsibility for not only your program, but for the other programs around in the universities, because you know what football is doing for everybody. The, the win is almost just, just a, let's just check it off. Oh man. We did it. And and so, like I'm saying, you have to fight to not end up in that spot. You have to appreciate these victories and all the hard work that these kids put in and the coaches and celebrate those. And when we get off track, it's about losing perspective. If there's one, if I can simplify it to that, we just lose perspective when we start getting squeezed in the arena. And so you have to fight for perspective. And, you know, I, I think I know how to do that. Uh, I know the words, <laughs> but you got to build skill. You know, it's easy for me to spew words here. 
but then you have to actually work on building skill to fight for perspective. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What percentage of your colleagues would you say approach the game as the game is a, is a vehicle for something much bigger generically? And I'm not asking you to yeah, castigate anybody, but how many do you think strictly come in as ball coach and get wins and get recruits and win versus, Hey, there's a bigger, there's something bigger and I'm just wearing the football backpack to get that across. Yeah. I mean, well, let's be, let's be straight up and honest. And I mean, I mean, I, I knew this loud and clear. I might've enjoyed the built for life part of things uh, as much as anything, but if we don't produce wins on the field, you don't get that opportunity. Achieve those goals, we're not going to, somebody else is going to be talking about built for life in this locker room with these guys and doing that. Right. Right. And it's not like you want to go out and lose your game. I mean, you know, you're competitive. That's, but the enjoyment of what it was really about for me, it was really that stuff. And I didn't learn it right away. It took, it really became over years that I could see the impact that it had on our players. One would be, you know what? I can tell he's into this more for than just winning games. Like he's trying to help us with a bigger picture. So I think it helped the connection with the kids. They knew it wasn't, hey, they wanted to win as bad as I did. But it wasn't all just about that. It really wasn't. And some of the kids got that when they were with us. And some of the kids didn't get it until after they left us. And they'd come back and they'd say, oh, I get this now. This makes way, I didn't, you know, in one air, out the other when I was with you. But now at work in, in what I'm going through, I understand. I see it. And I'm like, I get it. You know, we're just trying to sow the seeds and everybody grows at their own different times. So George, to answer your question, you know, I think that there are coaches out there that really care about what we're talking about, but I'll tell you what, I had to fight so hard to find the time to, to do this program with them, to talk about mm. these things. Because it is crazy, the crunch that you're under and how long you can be with your guys. And even right. if you could get extra time because you're talking about character development and you know some of those type of things, not under the 20-hour rule, 
there's still so you got to give them time away from you and your program. And that's one of the things that I worry so much about college football and high school football and specializes is burning these kids out on this stuff. It is truly becomes like a job to them. And that's not where, you know, like they lose the love of the game because it's just like, meeting and walkthrough and practice and weights and treatment and then I got to go to class and then I got to come back and it's man I just think it would be so cool if like we could send these kids for the winter quarter to Europe and we'll see in a month and a half or two months I guarantee you if we could get that done they would come back hungrier more energized on football into it more but yet we got to weight train them year round we got to meet year round this is big business we are going there so it's just it's just interesting where we are now uh field of 12 after dark very special night uh joined by really the biggest guest we've ever had on this two-year-old show legendary coach chris peterson uh boise state university of washington many many programs um, on this eve of Coach Mike Leach. Uh, so we had a chance to recognize him. We think about him. Trevor Knight, Clint Sterner. Coach Peterson, could we go more into mechanics? And and guys, I want you guys just to just pick up the ball and run with me on this. Can we go back to coaching? And can you take us with you? What are the elements of a good job opportunity and what are the elements of a bad job opportunity? Because <laughs> we hear that a lot. Um, oh, that's a great job or anybody with this, that, and the other. Well, from your perspective of seeing all these, and it's probably no clue how many jobs you've been offered that quietly were written on a napkin or sent to you on a text or somebody hit you up in a in an airport <clears throat> call or something. But could you walk us through that and then with the two SEC guys, quarterbacks we got on here, we like you guys have seen jobs and seen the league and the nation and everything, but um, could we roll with you on that, Coach? Yeah. You know, the one thing I think, gosh, a lot of different ways we can go here because um, I will say this. I think the I'll just start with this. Probably the best thing that I ever did for my career was be tremendously – patient and picky and i will say this a million times i've said it a million times and i'll say it again if you're if you're happy stay happy mm. if you're happy where you are stay happy just keep getting better yourself just just get better at your craft. Like so many guys are just looking and, you know, you start, what's a better job? Everybody, the first thing is, is money. And it's like, that is not what makes a job better. And in fact, you know, back in the day when I was an assistant, I got offered money that was like, I mean, double, I think one time it was triple the money I was making back at Boise State. And for whatever reason, like, I don't know why that I was always so slow to go or why I was patient or why this one thing hit me to like, if I'm happy, stay happy. 
I knew if I took that money, it's like, oh, triple my salary. It wasn't life-changing money. And I would, I would joke about, it's actually Happy Meal money. I mean, you take the taxes out of that. You, you know, at the end of the day, you could buy a new car or you could get a little bit bigger house, which again, has no effect on joy and fulfillment in your life. Mm. And so I remember talking, you know, some of the head coach I was with and like, they were thinking about taking the, the next job. And I'm like, you need to really think about that job because this head coaching money that they're throwing around, that could be life-changing money. I get that. But most jobs are not life-changing money. And even if we are talking about life-changing money, you better really figure out, okay, the money's great and put that aside. Why do I want to do this? Is it more responsibility and I need to grow? Um, is it going to be a better environment for me? Like I know the staff that's there and I really align and connect to those guys. It's on a different stage that maybe I want to, I want to test my competitive juices there, but I have just seen so many coaches run off the jobs and I'm like, why would a guy take that job? I think it's so ego driven because it's of a title and maybe a little bit more money that does not make it a better job in a lot of ways. And it's like, you know, it's interesting. When I became the head coach of Boise State, I did not want to be the head coach of Boise State. I wanted to be the offensive coordinator at Boise State. That's what my job was. And Dan Hawkins, who was wonderful, awesome to work for, he'd ask me, what are your goals? Like every year we talk about this. What do you want to do? I want to be the best offensive coordinator in the country. That's my goal. Wow. Next year, what are you trying to do? I just want to get better at this. I think I'm making progress, but I know I have more meat on the bone. I just want to get better at this. If you'll just let me visit people, if you'll just support me in going out and learning and growing, I just want to get better at this. So that's what it was. And then lo and behold, he leaves to go to Colorado. Well, I'm going to go to Colorado with him. In my heart, I just had no excited to take the same job over there in Boulder. I just... I don't know why I just, you know, certain jobs give you some juice and some, you know, it could even be that nervous energy, but I just didn't have that. So then I'm thinking about staying at Boise. Well, if I don't become the head coach, somebody else might take the job that really doesn't want me as the OC or I don't align with them. So now it's like, Oh boy, I really felt like I was almost trapped into taking the job. And so I take the job, but I just wanted to be the OC. <laughs> and so and I was right it was like I know like so the first year's wild right we win all of our games but it was like it was because a lot of luck involved you know I, I had been there I knew we knew the kids I knew the culture mm -hmm. I knew the stuff that we had built with Dan Hawkins and so it was, the stage was set to have a good team so I got lucky in, in those, but that's what I just want to say to guys. It's like, just get better at what, if you're a DB coach, be the best DB coach in America and just really be good at that. And then once you feel like, okay, I'm starting to get stale. I feel like I need more. Maybe it is to be a passing game coordinator, a true passing game coordinator, not in title, you mm -hmm. know, or where you are. It's like, 
you know, I get there's a shelf life to everywhere you've been. Maybe it's time for a new, you know, a new group, a, a new league to challenge, a new level, those type of things. But be calculated on what a good job looks like to you. Coach, you, you mentioned two things. You mentioned two things over the last 30 minutes, and I, and I want you to give me a specific answer on these, as specific as you can. Um, you mentioned alignment, and that ultimately is, is what you work for and and when you're at your best or the program's at its best. When in your career did you most feel aligned? Where were you at when you when 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 the stars aligned for you, number one? Number two, you just mentioned in your career you were incredibly patient at, at – more specifically, what, when were you, when did patience pay off the most for you as a coach? I'll start backwards. Patience paid off, <laughs> um, off for me from, you know, I, I think about the, you know, um, when I started my career at UC Davis. So I, I, and I don't want to take you through my journey. I'm not saying that, but I mean, I could just go everywhere I've been, it paid off to get to the next spot that was really a better spot for me in terms of growth and progression and learning. That's what I think it really needs to center around. So how about this? When I'm 23 years old, I become the head coach of the UC Davis JV football team. We had a JV team back in the day. Oh. Didn't even want the job, but I didn't know what to do. I was going to go to Canada and play, and that thing fell through, and so I didn't have a plan. All these stories, right, they help shape our career. For I mean, our, our like how we are as a coach. This is a big part of the Built for Life program that I had. Like having no plan, going through college, knowing it's important to get a degree, knowing it's important, like, to you know uh go to class to get great all that stuff but did not like school at all but i knew i needed to do it wow so that always helped me down the you know like i knew my player like they don't like school i get that but there's things in life we got to do that's going to pay off for us down the road so i was one of those guys but anyway so 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 i take this uc davis <laughs> freshman team jv team head job and the reason i did it is one because i was going to go to grad school hating school, but I had no other plan. So I go to grad school and I take this job because one, my dad was a coach and I'm thinking I'm not going to be a coach, but I think, and I just got done playing quarterback for Jim Soker, who's a legend in the college football hall of fame and Bob Foster, who's another guy that should be in the college football, unbelievable, legendary coaches. And so I'm thinking, I just got done playing, learning from the best. I got all the answers. Um, I can coach. So I, yeah, I'll do this. This is, this is great. So I coach this freshman team. We got like 90 guys on this team. The players are about my age. The coaches that are hired are older than me or my age, but I got all the answers. Well, fast forward. I, it took me two weeks to even get them in stretch lines. I mean, it was a cat rodeo from the start. <laughs> I mean, I'm teaching the quarterback, like, <laughs> like, you know, like read progressions, like how you read things. And he doesn't even know where the receivers are going. Like he didn't, I mean, I'm so far <laughs> in left field as a coach. And I always say this, like I probably learned as much in that one year of coaching as I did in the next five years. Wow. But after that year, I could have gone up and coached the varsity uh, receivers. So Jim's coach Oker asked me, Hey, you know, what do you think about coming up? And 
um, coaching the varsity receivers. And I'm like, coach, I'd really like to coach this freshman team again. And he's like, what? And I said, I need a do over. I can't tell you how bad I was and how much better I think I could do. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fine. You can coach him again then. (laughs) And so I think about being patient right there. Like I could have been the varsity receiver. And I'm like, no, I I need to grow and learn. And and so I could give you a story like that all the way through my career. of just not running to the next thing for more money or, you know, another title or more prestige. It's just not about that in terms of the big picture. That's good. That's good. Coach, I, I got a question for you. you. You mentioned in all this coaching change and chasing money and all those things, right? Again, us on the outside, we see a, co- a coach move logos, right? Move schools. And, and in our heads, hey, they jumped in a time machine and they levitated and all their stuff levitated over and they didn't have to worry about housing and all that stuff. Give us a little insight into the actual logistics of, and whether it's Boise State to Washington or whether one of your other moves of, you know, get family on the phone. What are you doing with your house? How are you getting your car there? And and while also trying to be on campus and establish yourself as that leader. Hey, can I even tighten it up even tighter? Yeah. What does the first six hours look like? You got (laughs) the job. Congrats. We on our way. What's the first six hours look like? Well, let, let me say this. Let, let me just, I, before I get to the first six hours of taking the job, I'm going to go back to this. And I've, <laughs> I'll say this. It's all fun and games until they're talking about your life. Mm. It's all fun and game. Like everybody loves the drama of, oh, coach is going there. Oh, and who's going with him? And I wonder if I can get a job. And it's just drama. And from the outside, it's kind of entertaining and, oh, interesting. He left there and I wonder what, and it's, it's, there's just a lot of heartache and pain and misery in these decisions, especially if you're a head coach, because you're leaving these kids that like you recruited. And so, you know, like that is a very touchy, awkward, hard thing. Cause you really care about them and you're trying to look out what's best, you know, what's best for the greater good. And, and then, it, you know, also your life. And so it is crazy. The stress and anxiety trying to decide, you know, especially when you got a job, like if you don't have a job and you're trying to get a job and you're out of a job, you know, that's a little bit different, but that's stressful. <laughs> but so that is super hard. <laughs> and so, and then, Word usually gets out before things are done, before you can even talk to the appropriate people. So then that's frustrating. So then you can't even talk to like, you know, whether it's coaches, your team, whatever, before word leaks. So that's really hard. And so, you know, like in the real world, <laughs> hey, we got a couple of weeks or you give a two week notice or, you know, even on college campuses, a professor, you know, they're going to come in this fall. Like, no, you are done in 12 hours, you're out of this building and you are on another campus with a different logo, like you said. And then, you know, so you got a a locker room that you just left that is really, I'm trying to think of an appropriate word, like in disarray, because now they don't know who's going to coach them. And that's super hard on everybody. And then you got coaches. Is everybody coming with you? 
And then you got marketing and recruiting people and oh, are they coming with you? So everybody's just up in arms. Then you go to the new place and those kids are like, what's going on here? Who's going to coach me? Who's going to be my position coach? What's this guy really like? And so it is a really hectic, frantic, scattered, unsettling time for probably at least two weeks, let alone the six hours, George. I mean, the six hours are like, you know, let me say goodbye to the people there and I'll get back to you and I'm always available, like players, whatever. And then you go to your new spot and you try to calm the waters there in six hours as much as you can. And you're trying to meet with people. And then the, the media, you got to have a media thing and they want to talk to you. And it's just, it is the craziest experience that anybody could ever imagine. That's a lot of lives affected when you laid out your move and a small army will either pick up and move with your parts. And then there's an, an already an army there which you'll either release or retire or absorb. Like that's a lot. Clint. So that's what people don't, that's what people don't know right yeah. there. Like they don't know the drama. It's play. like when I even stepped away from Washington, that was one of the hardest things I had to ever do. You know, leaving Boise state was so, so hard, but on both cases for me, I felt like if I stayed, the program wasn't going to move forward where I was in my journey. Mm. At Boise, they needed new energy, new life to take that thing. I had hit a wall. The, the arena had squeezed me and it wasn't, I needed to move forward. There's a shelf life, I think, in most places. And because I didn't make myself healthier, which, you know, is kind of that game plan that we were talking about earlier, which we could, is a whole nother long conversation. Um, the wall squeezed me again at Washington at the end of my six year run. And I was just like, I, this is not going to be better for these kids and these coaches and everybody associated with this program. If I stay here the way I am. So that, made me feel like I really, that gave me some peace of mind, even though people on the outside would not understand that. But I knew in my heart, this would be the best thing in the long run for everybody involved. Right. Coach, how difficult do you, I'm, I'm looking through Boise State, you took over with a, a program that you at least knew uh, a lot about obviously having been there pretty, pretty healthy. And then at Washington, you followed up Sark and I, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, yep. I mean, they, that was a pretty healthy program from the standpoint of, of wins and losses, at least. How, how different do you think it, it is for a coach that takes over? Um, I mean, look, I'm looking at the guys that are, that are in the top 10 right now that took over SC and TCU and LSU and just created um, I mean, great culture, great winning habits, obviously, like literally they captured lightning in a bottle. Um, how different is it, do you think, taking over a program like that versus like your two big time experiences of of having of, of taking over a team that's won some ball games? So I think if you take over a healthy program, one you've been in a lot easier, right, because, you know, you know the things in your mind that you thought were good, things you could tweak and change. You know the kids. 
you you know so much. You know, should I even be here? Is this is this right. something that I feel we can yeah. move the needle? So that that to me is easier. Um, when you go to a new program, see, it's, it was way different though back in the day when I came to Washington because the transfer rules were different. So it's going to take longer. And I've said this uh, a handful of times. When I first came to Washington, the only way I could describe it is culture shock. Culture shock for me and the staff that I brought with me and culture shock for the players that were left looking at us. Now, this is what I say. I love Steve Sarkeesian. Like he, I consider him a friend. He's a great dude. He is a big time ball coach. But my way, our way, completely different than his way. And so all these kids were recruited under his regime. And this is how we were trained. This is how we do it. And we're kind of thinking, why are you doing, you know, this is how we lift weights. And they're like, no, we don't lift weights like that. We lift like this, or we, our academic philosophy is this, or like, and so it takes wow. so long to create that alignment again that I'm talking about. Nowadays with the transfer portal, if guys don't like it, they're out. You bring in 40 new guys. These, these places are bringing in 40 new guys. So now guys are going to be there willingly. So that's that's maybe the benefit of some of this transfer portal, like can transfer right away. I think that I don't think it's better for the kids overall, like the way it is right now. There, there, there needs to be some tweaks going on because I can't tell you how many kids have played in our programs that would have left us long in the dust. And we were able to really change our life in a positive way. Mm. Had the transfer portal been in effect, like this is too hard. This is what I signed up for. And then are glad they stayed and worked through it and all those things. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different, you know, a different time, Clint, that I guess the point is you can make change more rapidly if you have your vision and your style and your way and you really define expectations and you get guys that really want to be, see, because I think in the, in the older days too, guys are like, I don't, this isn't how we did it before. And this is how coach so-and-so said it. And so there's a lot of, like, it takes a long time to like build that. Well, now guys are going, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Well, okay. We're going to get 40 new guys in here. And this is what we're all about. You can move the needle maybe a little faster than it took us three years to do some things. Uh, coach. Go ahead, George. Go ahead, Trevor. I know you wanted to ask him about the kind of that opt out, how, how guys kind of get there and start making their own business decision type deal. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, Coach George, why don't you ask him that? Because I got an X's and O's question for him uh, to follow up transfer portal talk. Oh, the, well, you go, then I'll go. Stay with me. Yeah, you. well, I want to I want to take you back, Coach, and I know we could spend a, a – two weeks talking about all the X's and O's and the good plays, the bad plays and all those different things. But specifically me as a young guy, I'm watching the 2007 Fiesta Bowl and <laughs> a, a game that I know is I probably see that Oklahoma. I see that Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. And I'm watching this game. I want to know from your perspective, that that kind of the, the the ending part of the game, specifically the Statue of Liberty, but you know the hook and ladder, the trick plays, and I know everybody's got that on their call sheet, but to have the guts to go out there and call those plays, and then for your for your guys to execute them, and, and for the defense to be perfect, just 
all the little things that go into um, making those plays successful. Walk us through some of those decisions coming through the headset with you and your <laughs> offensive staff and then how it played out there in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, first of all, that's a little bit of our style, kind of who we were anyways, in terms of taking chances and just going for it. That's the first thing. Our mentality was a little bit like that, always at Boise anyways. The second thing is, I mean, let's be realistic. We were not going to be able to line up and beat Oklahoma running power or ISO at those guys that game long. Although we did have a physical team. We really did. We got a good team. In a, but again, we weren't going to match up that way to them. So a little bit of those two things, you know, when you think about those things, the second thing, kind of starting with the hook and ladder, th that really was not that difficult of a call because the time we had, um, there was like, I can't remember, like 15 seconds or 18 seconds. We had to score. Like we didn't have time to like, we had to score and we had to score now. Like we had, a, I think it was like third and 18. So not only do we have to get the first down, we were running out of time even in the game. And so the hook and ladder, we had practiced for five years straight, right? Every Friday we're practicing that thing. And it was the favorite part of practice for the guys. <laughs> and they, you know, half the time it's on air, but sometimes we run against our defense and we'd get close, but they'd seen it enough. So we never got the full execution of it. So when we called that play, it was really like we didn't have another better play. Like that was the good play. The second thing is when we scored, I thought about going for two right then and there. Cause I'm, I'm like, we got momentum because we had had the lead, had momentum, lost the lead, lost momentum, got the momentum back. And it's, you know, the game is so much about momentum. I'm thinking, let's go. And so I'm thinking, and I stepped out on the field to, um, you know, it's going to turn around and go, okay, let's go for two. And there was so much pandemonium and guys were going so nuts and the PAT field goal team's running out there that I'm like, oh, forget it. Let's just kick it. I kind of chickened out. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, gosh, should I, should I have gone for two right then and there? Well, we go into overtime then. And um, the first play, Oklahoma gets the ball. And Adrian Peterson, who had been hurt a lot of the year from a collarbone, was coming back. That was his game. And he was just getting warmed up. I mean, as we're going, like, he started <laughs> to hit his stride. First play of over, overtime, off tackle, 25 yards, untouched. And I'm like, if we score, we are going for two. I mean, in my mind, like, no doubt now. If we can score, it is over. So we do score. And so it's interesting. Our backup quarterbacks all game long, the Statue of Liberty was actually a red zone play and hash specific, right? Hash specific. So our backup quarterbacks, they kept calling, hey, coach, don't, you know, they're in the head, they're signals, don't forget about Statue when we'd be in the red zone. And we're like, Brian Harson's the coordinator. And it's like, yeah, well, we're on it, you know, but we never could get on either the right, down a distance situation or we're on the wrong hash all game long. And so when we score to go for two, you know, everybody throws it in and it's like, let's use statue. We haven't used it. And it's like, let's do it. So we call statue and it's a quick huddle break. 
and we got trips because we'd thrown the bubble screen out of that earlier in the game. And we'd show that a bunch of quick huddle break. Tempo wasn't as big back then. Quick huddle break. Tempo throw to the bubble screen. So we do that. Quick huddle break. Boom. And you can see it's lined up and, and we're looking good. And they call timeout. And so they come to the sideline and I'm like, then I start getting scared. I'm like, hey, we think we're good here. Like, you know, I, I no, no doubt 30 seconds earlier, this is going to be great. We're going to walk in and now they call timeout. <laughs> and I'm like, are we good? And one of our coaches on the headphones, I think it was our receiver coach, MPs is like, Hell yes, we're good. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of startled me right back. Like, okay. And so then we run into works. And then, you know, I got out with Bob Snoops later and we kind of watched that. We, we did a thing for Fox where we watched it. And he said, you know, the corner's actually supposed to blitz off the edge. And I'm like, huh? You know, like, had he come in here? Is it, I mean, I, I would have probably had egg all over my face. And I'm the worst coach in America. <laughs> and what a bozo trying that. And that's the age. And so. Yeah, a little bit about that. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Hey, Coach, um, again, I just want to thank you before we get off. I want to thank you for not just the time, but these pages of notes and this insight and and uh, um, really, I mean, gracing us. Um, you, your schedule is still heavy. You may not be standing in front of the team room, but the demands and everything. So thank you again for – just sharing with us and, and, and our community here question portal NIL or the early opt-outs transport back into this time as a general, which is the easiest of those to adapt and tackle. <laughs> and we're talking about the portal opt-outs and the NIL, which is the easiest easiest of those three you think would be to adapt to and say, hey, we're in? And which one would you say, oh, hell, like this whole thing is, is you know, I, I just want to get your take on, again, from, a, from, from the tip of the spear, how are these, because we talk about this stuff all the time. But yeah. we're not leading an entire program, and we're not trying to hold continuity to this thing, and and we're not under that gun. We're not under the pressure. Yeah, there's no easy one to tackle first. I don't think. Let me just say this: I think the opt outs, and this is, are you talking about opt out of a bowl game or leaving school early to the NFL? Uh, probably both. Both, because even uh, well, as we all know on here, a great percentage of the underclassmen that show up at the NFL Combine go undrafted. Right, right. It's a staggering like seventy percent of the yeah. underclassmen that heard one agent tell them, "I think you're a third rounder." That's enough for me. And then yeah. they're they're watching the whole comp, they're watching the draft, house full of folks, and it starts and ends with them never hearing their name, and they already gave up their spot in college. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the opt out thing, I mean, if you're going to be a first round draft pick, whether you're going to leave early, like let's say you're a junior, let's start there. You're going to leave early. You're, I'm contemplating, should I leave? And I'm going to give me, you know, a first round grade. That doesn't mean you're going to be drafted in the first round. That means you have the potential. They haven't done their hmm. injury, their history on injuries, 
character stuff, all those type of things. But if all indications you got a really good chance to be drafted in the first round, I think there's a really strong percentage you should probably leave and go to the NFL. And maybe the same thing for the bowl game. Um, if you're truly going to be one of those first rounders, but I mean, if you're going to be a first rounder and you played in the, and you played in um, the bowl game and got hurt, you're still going to get drafted high. You know, you, you, the worst case scenario, ACL, right? Like a year injury, really. You're still going to get drafted very, very high. Maybe not as high as you were, but someone's like you're that. You're kind of a rare talent if you're a first rounder. And so, you know, I would just be, it's football, you know, and you played a lot of football. Can something happen? Yeah, something could happen. But, and then whether a guy should come out or not, I think it just depends. Can you up your stock? Do you have more meat on the bone? I know this, when we had Vita Vea, so, you know, Vita, they were talking about being an upper second round pick. And we really felt like he had way more meat on the, like he could develop and really get into the first round. And even if he got into the lower first round, we're like, he still can get, like some guys have kind of, this is as good as they, they're just that good and they're not going to get any better, but they're better than most. Vita, we felt, was still learning the game. So he decided to come back and he probably made himself $10 million coming back, coming back for that extra year. Um, just where he went with the signing bonus and the draft and all those type of things. So there's, you know, and I get it. You could get hurt and it could knock you a little bit, but you know, I think you just gotta, you know, if you're, you gotta look at each case individually, the portal again, I give the same advice with my, my career. Like, I think you need to be slow to go somewhere. I think quarterbacks are a little bit of a different issue because there truly is only one of them. And if there's a guy that's young and he's the guy, you kind of get that. The thing I think about the portal is if as a coach, no coach, if you don't, if you can't help this team and you don't bring value to the locker and you really can't play here, no coach wants you to stay there. They want you to go, if you're not this level of player, they want you to go somewhere where you can play. Now, you may take a little more seasoning and developing to get the time that you want, but the grass, I mean, that thing, that grass is not always greener. The grass is greener where you water it and you fertilize it and stop second guessing you should be somewhere else. And I will tell you this, from the guys that I've been involved with, that I've paid attention to them transferring other places, and this is even me stepping out of it for the last three years and paying attention to the guys I know. I have seen very few where it got better for them. Very few. The majority mm -hmm. is either the same, but probably worse in terms of playing time, all those type of things. It's Situation. usually worse. Yeah, all that. And they, I know they're kicking themselves thinking, I should have just hung in there. But it's almost the cool, hot thing to do now. Like, let me get in that portal and go. And I think you should be very careful about that. NIL would be the last thing that I'm talking about as a recruit. I don't even want to talk about that until the very end of this. And the sad thing is, that's the first thing most places, a lot yeah. of these guys are talking about. 
there's a coach I was talking to and they're talking about recruiting this kid. And they said, well, and these are elite program. And he said, yep. I said, you know, how was the, he told me, how was the visit? It ain't even about the visit. Well, we got a really strong offer out, but so does so-and-so. That's all it's about. The strong offer. And strong like, offer as in financial offer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You ain't talking just scholarship. You're talking. Scholarship? What? So it is about anymore. <laughs> yeah. And again, these are like elite programs and these are elite kids and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't. But I know every kid is thinking, what is my NIL situation or potential down? And I think that's a question that needs to be talked about and asked. But it needs to be the last thing. Yeah. Do I like this school? Do I like living in this part of country? Do I connect with these coaches? Do I align mm -hmm. with this? Forget about the uniforms. Forget about the size of the stadium. Forget about all this hype. And we would walk our guys out to the stadium in Washington on Mont Lake, which is truly, if you haven't been there, George, I know you have, so you can kind of attest to this. It is the greatest setting in college football. Like you get a nice day out there on that water, 70,000 state. It is so spectacular. And I get the guys and I'd say, guys, guess what? And they just did a photo shoot with the unis and sparkling chrome helmets and the black unis. And they're all hyped up. And we got the speakers blurring in the stadium. And we go, guess what? None of this right here. Isn't this awesome? And they're like, this is awesome, coach. I said, none of this has is going to have anything to do with your happiness coming here. Mm. I'm just telling you. Like, the work you're going to put in here, the day-to-day -day in that locker room with those brothers, the coaches that are going to coach you, the professors, the teachers on campus, the community, that's what this thing's about. We love running out here and getting our, like, six, you know, six games in this, or seven games in a season, a year in this, and it goes like that. So it can't be all about this. That's just part of it. And now, now it's going to just, like, the first thing is about NIL. And to me, I think that needs to be the last thing. It's about these two schools or these three schools, and I just love them, and I'm aligned. Oh, yeah, what, are, what is the NIL situation? I mean, in, in, in reality, too, you're not even supposed to be talking to that, uh, to kids about that, um, you know, that you're recruiting. Coaches aren't supposed to have anything to do with it, right? But we all know how that's going. Um. Five minutes left. We, we, we're basically running the two-minute drill here, field of 12. <laughs> I'm going to go Clint, Trevor, and and uh, and then Coach, we're going to let you get back to changing the world there. <laughs> yeah. I hear you, brother. Coach, I'm going to be quick with you, man. I, look, I, I've never – this is the first time I've ever got to spend any time with you, and, and uh, it's it's been a blast. It's been an honor. Um, I hope you get back in the game if that's what you want to do. and and. Uh, uh, I've always admired you from afar from an offensive mind and a head coach and a leader of men. Uh, it's been an honor and it's, it's, uh, it's lived up to, to all the expectations. I, I got one question, man, outside of football. I, I waited until I was 44 to get married and have a, have a little girl. I got a 10 month old little girl. You got, you got a, one of a template on that game plan of, uh, uh for life yep. that you can, uh, that you can send out. <laughs> here's the thing i'd love to send you mine but it would do very little for your life but my one thing is that i will tell you on this if you want to be the best dad you can possibly be to that little girl 
And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You need to be and focus on being the best husband you can possibly be. Mm. I think being a great dad is will be the easy part if you can be the best husband in America. The rest just falls into place like it should. Wow. Wow. It's, Love it. Great advice right there, Coach. I am uh, I am somewhat newly married, almost three years, and I've got an eight-month-old little boy. So I'm I'm getting into this season of life as well, and it is it is an awesome one. Um, let me ask you this: on on a personal standpoint, we'll keep it with family. Give a, give us a little uh, a little shout out to your family. Tell us about your family. What's everybody doing? Um, how's everybody doing? We'd love to, to hear about, uh, the inner workings of, of your family. <laughs> yeah. So my wife is the best person that I know on this planet. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, really is. And I will say this to you two guys that are, you know, mm -hmm. a lot younger than me. If I would have listened to her 90 8.5% of the time, man, we'll go 99 because I think that's the more accurate. If I would have just listened to her, my life would have been exponentially better and easier. And I would have avoided so many mistakes if I would have just listened to her. Wow. We're all, we get all so hard headed and we all think we got the answers and we think that we know this and there'll be nobody that knows you better and nobody cares for you more. And nobody that really wants to help you get it right, but can see things a little bit further out of the trees than you can, than your wife. So listen to her. Um, so I got a wonderful wife that's getting used to me being around a whole heck of a lot more than I ever used to be. And so that's really testing how good of a wife, how her patience and how good of a person she is. And she's awesome. And then I got two boys. One just graduated from college um, a year ago. He's working downtown Seattle. And then I got a an older one that um, went back to school and he's like in his third year, he's back in the grind. He's in his third year of med school. And so he's grinding that whole thing out there. So very blessed to have a, you know, wonderful family after all these years. Wow. Wow. Um, again, coach Chris Peterson spreading the gospel, <laughs> supercharging us. Uh, if, if you get a chance, if you're rolling with us live, you can go back on uh, YouTube, certainly Field of 12. You can find us on all the apps if you want to go back over this again with an, a, a pen and pad. Um, he's taught us how to shape a tribe, how to shape a program, how to shape your life, how to approach a family. Um, and I had an idea it was going to go like this. I had an idea it was going to go like this. I knew we weren't going to be talking about two gab schemes and, yeah. and all I don't even know anything stuff. about that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, again, what just what a what an honor, what a true honor, Coach. Thank you for coaching us, all of us, tonight. Um, you you you're you're one of the classiest, most respected men in this sport, and this show is dedicated to the sport of college football. So. What an honor for us. On behalf of Trevor Knight, Clint Sterner, and the legendary coach Chris Peterson, this is George Whitfield, Field of 12 After Dark. <laughs>